Hello everyone. Welcome back to a new episode on our Open to Happiness podcast. I am your host Nicoleta and today I will be joined by Dr. Farah Elmiligi, counseling psychologist from London. We will be talking about the relationship between radical acceptance and happiness today and I can't wait to explore this topic. Hello Farah and welcome to the podcast. Hi Nicoleta, thank you for having me and I'm very excited to uh explore with you today. You're very welcome. Uh, let's start, Farah, by finding out a little bit about you. How was your journey in life so far? Okay, so in terms of my journey in life, it's, uh, I always, I mean, this question, I feel like I don't know where to start with it, but I think um, I grew up in a very happy home. I had parents who were um, in the in medicine. So both of them were kind of in a medical field growing up. My dad's a surgeon, my mom's um, an anesthetist. And uh, I always grew up with the value of helping people. So the importance of helping others was something that was kind of very uh, central to my value system growing up. Um, which because I saw my parents obviously helping people every day. So this was something that, you know, and they were very grounded and they always reminded me of, you know, all of my privileges on a daily basis. It was almost unbearable <laughs> at some point. <laughs> because sometimes, you know, you know, I would want something or I would kind of complain or whine and my mother would be like, you know, pretend you're, you know, pretend you're poor or pretend you're in the desert or something. And, and um, so I was always kind of brought back to reality. So I think reality is and the reality of people's lives is where I'm most comfortable. Comfortable. So I would say that my comfort zone was always in kind of really understanding what's going on with people. Um, so I wasn't a very kind of idealistic child. I would I was very like I was always like I always like to know about people's lives really like what was really happening. Mm. Um, so this was something that started off my interest in psychology. And then um, I, all through school, I was kind of a, a kind of a good student, um, obviously had my teenage years that were kind of confusing and, and weird, uh, which, which is, I think, normal. Um, and then um, I went to university and I studied psychology um, as a bachelor's degree. I was infinitely interested in... Um, uh, Sigmund Freud and I was very interested in you know all of the kind of interesting theories he had about the human condition it was really exciting at the, that point it was like the fact that he you know integrated these psychosexual stages I always thought wow that's so strange and the defense mechanisms and all of that and then studying a little bit about humanistic theory and what makes a good counselor so all of these really kind of um, understanding psychology on this very interesting basic level was very exciting for me and I think it was it's exciting for a lot of students and then I graduated from my bachelor's degree and then um, I, that was all in Egypt so I, I was living in Egypt most of my life I'm Egyptian so and then I graduated and I started working in a psychiatric hospital as an assistant psychologist for two years um, before that I did with children with learning difficulties but then I moved into a more clinical setting and I worked in inpatient settings and I remember thinking there was such a huge divide between everything I've learned at university and everything I experienced in that psychiatric hospital and it taught me all the ways the brain can kind of 
go off track basically it yes taught, it taught me all the different ways that you know people can lose a lot of things and how difficult it was, it was really painful to see some you know obviously some sometimes you would get a, a good story where someone would be admitted in an, you know um, an award and they would do a lot better and then they would be discharged but unfortunately this wasn't the case for a lot of the people that were going in a lot of them found it very difficult to go back and integrate in society so this made me feel like this field is just this open-ended it's an ocean like yes we, we know very little and we are only able to help people in a very limited capacity and we need to own up to that because you know pretending that you know it all or that you know you you have all the answers is not really actually true even especially when you go into sci- the scientific literature you know they're still they're arguing at the top You know, they're arguing at the top of the of the food chain. You know, they're arguing at the academic on the academic level about what <clears throat> what you know mental illness even means and that sort of thing. So, so um, it made me feel like there is just this endless sense of exploration and discovery that that this field um, offers. Um, so then, I got I finished working for you know I, I stopped working for this hospital because I was starting my doctorate and my my master's and my doctorate traveled to the United United Kingdom and at this at this point I had gotten married so it was perfect because my husband found a job in London and I was already had I had already started my my program in London um my degree which 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 because I and I was doing it as a distance learning program from Egypt at the beginning and then when my husband found a job and we immediately we got married and we moved to London almost immediately so we we don't we don't really know married life in Egypt we have we have no idea what it's like but it's it's um so then i uh when i when when i moved here i started to do placements in different settings as part of my doctoral program and i worked in uh at the nhs i worked in you know i did a placement there for a year i did a placement in charities i, did, I worked in different charities like mind they're doing great work with people um i did uh i worked for re- uh, in a charity with refugees at some point um i worked for a, a, psych- a psychosis therapy the psychosis therapy project at some point which is a project that's based in central london that's dealing only with people who present with psychotic uh, illness and psychotic disorders right and yeah so i i had a bit of a kind of a an all-around experience of mental health and also long-term low-cost settings as well when i finished and i graduated um i started to do my own private practice which is still running till this day uh and i'm also working for the nhs in east london so that's uh that's me I, i i really didn't want to kind of go into more detail because i can talk forever but yeah. yeah you are a great speaker thank you so much for sharing this i mean it's a beautiful journey starting in a happy home so happiness has been obvi- obviously part of your life that's so important maybe we can learn a little bit from you and then i think i feel in a way although we're coming from two different parts of the world Our path is quite similar. Yeah, I come from Romania, you come from Egypt. And here we are, we're meeting in London, okay. doing beautiful work in a quite of a similar field, uh, or the same field, really, if you want to be inclusive and yeah. not uh, see the world through separation. Yeah. And I'm starting in palliative care, you're starting in a psychiatric unit. It's mm-hmm. quite heavy for us young women, yes. you know, being exposed to the nature of human life and human suffering. Yeah. And we're learning a lot and we're passionate of, of supporting others. 
there's something in my past, obviously, that inspired me to, to be a psychologist as well. Mm. Such a beautiful way. So what's your relationship with happiness now when you look back from, from this moment in time? I think I, I love this question because it makes me, it challenges me because I think it's, it's like, I think I was very um, moved by the ideas of existential thinkers and existential philosophers most notably, you know, the, the book Man's Search for Meaning was kind of a big one, right? We all had, we all read this book and I think it's such a, it, it moves us. Yeah, exactly. It I changed, have it here. Exactly. It changes our life on some level because yes. you start to, I think everyone has had this experience. I don't know a single person who read this book that wasn't completely moved by it. So I really recommend it mm. um, because it, it taught me that, you know, it's, Suffering is, is inevitable, that you will, life will present us with some suffering, that it's not, it's not, it's of no use to say that suffering doesn't exist. It doesn't make sense. So for us to say suffering, it's for us to accept that suffering and to transcend it is for me the closest thing to happiness. And for me, it was that it was sort of dealing with some of the most difficult things in my life, because it, again, as much as it was a happy home and I, there were always problems, obviously there was always something that you were dealing with. Um, when I moved to a new country, I was confronted with a lot of, of my own kind of delusions about who I was. Yes. And, right. And how <laughs> I am in society. And, 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 you know, you start to live with a lot, with a lot more humility and a lot more, a sense of your own kind of smallness in the world, but being okay with it. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So being okay with being that small person in the world, you're not constantly trying to be a bigger person. You're not always trying to kind of be in that, on that defense, trying to make something bigger of yourself to protect yourself from the world. No, it's about actually kind of accepting some of the, of the, of the difficulties and some of the insignificance of, of, of what you're going through. Sometimes it doesn't always have meaning. Sometimes you, you go through things that don't really mean a lot and, and you just have to find a way of finding your way back home to the sense of happiness and the sense of acceptance of what life can give you. So I think it's happiness has a lot to do with being okay with the darkness, like, and being and being able to transcend it because I I don't think it can exist without you know light can't exist without dark right wow that's powerful yeah <laughs> I love it very beautifully said I think in a way this is why I've started this podcast a couple of years ago because very often we get trapped into our programming into how we've learned to function automatically into the drama of this world into the structures and institutions and shoulds and must and have to and ought to, you know, it's all there in every single one of us. It's part of our journey. It's part of our conditioning. And very often we can't differentiate between what's difficult, what's challenging, and what's actually beautiful, what's great, mm -hmm. what should be appreciated, what should be cherished. Because we haven't been taught since we were little to live with the ambivalence of everything. To, to go through conflicting circumstances and experiences and actually embrace them all, embrace them, all of them, even if they come from two different perspectives, yeah. even if one is designed or disguised into a, a positive package and the other one is quite a painful one. And I love the fact that you make reference to 
such important teachings that we have. I do believe that suffering is <laughs> inevitable. We all live it, but we are not prepared for life. You see, we go through so much education. Look at me and you. Mm -hmm. We've been studying a lot. Mm -hmm. And then we have to discover through our own challenges that exactly. life is not actually a holiday. Life is not actually a paradise. It's a place where paradise exists and, and you know, you can experience wonderful things, but you need to be prepared for those difficult times when your emotions are going all over the place. You need to learn to self-regulate. And the word acceptance, when you voiced it out, it's such an important word. Mm -hmm. We do not learn to accept what is. We do not know what surrender is about. And we get very attached to the pain of the past. And we carry it with us, you know, we, we are in a way hooked by it yeah. and we carry it with us. And it's so difficult. It's kind of, you know, overwhelming. That's why we, you know, people that we work with and us ourselves as clients, I feel in therapy, it's the same. We're not different because we all have our own therapists. Even our therapists have therapy. Sometimes my clients laugh about it when I tell them, really? Your therapist has a therapist? And, and my therapist, therapist has another one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> because we all need it. You know, yes, we yeah. all so we all need it, and and it's important to kind of understand that this is a great point of connection with others, like accepting that we are, we're all in this, and we're all going through a lot. It's not like someone has a perfect life. This doesn't. This concept of a perfect life doesn't exist, and if it exists for a while, it won't exist forever. Yes, so it, it's it's this idea of the transience of happiness. You know, it's almost like. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 there. But I also wanted to talk a little bit about this because you mentioned while you were saying you mentioned being stuck in the past as something that's kind of like a default mode that we all fall into. This idea of like going back and and thinking about you're not really remembering the event in all of its detail, whatever it is that happened to you or whatever it is that was kept on happening to you. It doesn't have to be one event. Obviously, it could be chronic abuse. It could be chronic something. It could be something you've been through for a long time. But it's interesting because there, you know, if Freud used to use the, I mean, I'm, I'm not really a Freudian at all, but like, I don't know why he's coming up a lot in this. In this, We've all started there. Don't worry. Yeah, it's natural. There. Exactly. And I it's valuable. I mean, the teachings, yeah. Freud's yeah. teaching are still valuable. We still use them, but they are not everything. That's why we move through the humanistic and then exactly. cognitive behavior. And I think me and you now through the transpersonal, we transcend exactly. the science of psychology and we see beyond it. Exactly. Such a beautiful journey. It's very interesting. Carry on. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I just love that trajectory because I think it's so common to so many practitioners. They start with Freud, they go into, and then they go into the, the, the CBT human and then a humanistic and then more existential transpersonal. And then they start to be integrative where they're like, actually, I see all of these realities as valid. Yes. But he used this very interesting term that I always go back to. And it's, it's also linked informed work as well so it's very in linked with the trauma you know the trauma people the people that think about trauma and the people that think about how trauma has an impact on our lives a lasting one freud also had acknowledged it and i think he used the word repetition compulsion mm -hmm. where where this expression is about we repeat the things in our present we re we create the same conditions in our present that look like the traumatic events of our past because we want to in our mind we have a magical thought that if we recreate this situation and we solve it, then this would solve or ultimately resolve our past pain. Yes. 
and, and dissolve our, the conflict, internal yeah. conflict. So it's mm. like we create, we repeat the same conditions of our suffering, and then we 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 complain about what you know our our situation, but we repeat these conditions because in our mind there's some some sort of primitive magical thought that if we solve this issue, you know then this means I will solve this issue for this inner child inside of me mm -hmm. in the past. Or this is kind of, so for example, if you had a very, I mean, this is a very basic example, but if I had a very abusive relationship and I was, I was in it for a very long time and then it's over now, I will try, my brain will go towards more abusive kind of situations so that I can come out a winner again. So I can kind of avenge my past self in some way, but unfortunately it doesn't work. It actually causes us more suffering and more pain. So understanding our habitual need to go back to the past and fix it is a very, is a very interesting, is an important thing because yes, to think about what is making, what is standing between me and fulfillment, what is standing between me and happiness and taking some responsibility for that, you know, how am I creating the same conditions that, led me to the suffering in the past. So I think what you talked about in the, about living in the past made me think of that. Yeah, very, very insightful. Thank you so much for that. Because in a way, after Freud, even Jung spoke about it a lot, uh, talking about the collective consciousness, how we actually transfer what's been going on in the past into the new generations. And then if you move past uh, into the um, cognitive behavior field, then you learn that Everything that you've been taught when you were little, it's now staying with you, but you can unlearn it and you can change it. You can bring something more um, helpful to you, you know, more beneficial, more functional um, that brings your life into an adjustment in a way. Then you, if you go to the humanistic school, they all say kind of the same thing, but from a different angle in the room, mm -hmm. isn't it? Mm -hmm. They talk about the person, the potential. So this is not all of you. There's more to you. Just yeah. search for it, you know, go within. And even how we look at the family system that plays into our trauma and everything yeah. we experience in life. I think they all say the same thing. And if we really are courageous as practitioners and we move past and we go into Eastern spirituality traditions, they yeah. all talk about the same thing, isn't it? Yes, yes. It, it, it's about the karma. If yeah. you want to listen to Buddhism or Hinduism or even Taoism at some point, it's repeating the same action in an attempt that you can actually dissolve, become aware, become more conscious. Yeah. And whilst you're understanding what happened to your past and you create a little bit of distance from that moment of pain and you feel it inside of you, but you feel it with the experience of who you are today, mm. then it, it dissolves the karma. It dissolves the need to carry this pain with you. Because yeah. now you brought a different kind of understanding to it. Uh -huh. And in my, at the core of my work, I call it the seven steps of real transformation, mm. where the, the understanding is the first step and the acceptance is the second one. I don't feel you can accept anything if you don't understand it. If yes. someone comes to tell you, you must accept me like this, or you must accept this behavior of mine. You don't understand it if, if the people don't allow you to really figure out what's causing it and what's the benefit of it and what's the impact on you. So we're going to move into radical acceptance soon because it's all about, mm -hmm. about letting go and surrendering to what cannot be changed. But mm -hmm. I, fe I feel that acceptance is so important and it doesn't matter from what kind of 
doctrine or, 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 or I don't know, theoretical model we look at life or any issue we have, I think they all converge into the same place and they help with a different perspective mm-hmm. to finding a bit of healing and treating whatever we're struggling with. That's my take so far. 100%. And I think, and I think I really, really see this, you know, this, this transition between understanding and acceptance as the work of therapy. Yes. Like, this is where we are usually. Like yes. this is where we're, we're this we is start. Where, this is where we start. Yeah, this is where we start. This is where we, we, where we take our, our issue. And then we try to understand it. And what, by understanding it, trying to bring, some sort of acceptance to it. We won't always accept things. I don't think we always wake up say, saying, oh, I completely accept what happened. Or sometimes, some days it's going to be more difficult than other days. And I think it's just about moving into that space of, you know, accept, accept. when I accept things, the past stops holding such a huge power kind of um, power like, over you. Yeah, it stops stops having this power over you because it sta- it starts being you start to coexist with your past a lot easier than if you're always a sh- if you're if there's shame for example in my past there's a lot of shame or there's a lot of you know um you know um anger or a lot of kind of a sense of injustice if i coexist with this as just just an experience that happened to me i am able to move on into the future because it's like it's our relationship with time as well like this idea of like if I go back to the past and I resolve this and I'm free to move into the future at some point yes I'm free to kind of if I accept the past I yes I move into the future I'm free to develop new options of living and new possibilities um because there's no longer this kind of um call to go back to the past and fix something because it's, it's been already released done yeah it's already done and accepting that and and i think with 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 some cultures it's harder than with other cultures i feel like there's other like there is a sense of um kind of more cultures are more okay with with past is in the past whereas in other people it's like they live in the past it's like a kind of an, an automatic default of like in the past we live in we live in our history we only belong in 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 our kind of it's about family history for example it's all about history it's not about the future the future is not important you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's interesting i don't know what do you think of that this idea i I feel that you're right there is a strong attachment in some culture especially the the collectivistic cultures from the east and mine is in between the two worlds, <laughs> to be honest, because we've been through communism, we've been, you know, under the Soviets and yep. uh, at the junction of three very strong empires, the Ottoman Empire, then the Austro-Hungarian, mm-hmm. and then the Russian Empire. So when you when you have this kind of influence in you in such a small country, such a, you know, limited population, you have all the influences. So I, I have spent years in self-reflection, in, in introspection, trying to understand my roots. And I feel that the attachment to the past is present in all cultures, is part of our lives, because past is basically not just our memory, the database that you mentioned about. Everything you experience since you were born, because you were born with a blank brain, Mm -hmm. unless you account for what Carl Jung was talking about, which is valuable. I think we need to open our eyes to a new perspective where we understand now with the epigenetics, we know that our cells 
carry the memories and the experiences of 11 generations back. That's two, 300 years, you know, of history. We have it in us. It's encoded in our cells. We don't know why we feel things, why we think things, why we react the way we react, but it might not be necessarily learned or experienced in our personal history since we were born until now. It might be part of our life script. This is what I call what happened before we were born. It's mm. a life script that has been already decided for you because mm. you have this ancestry and you have this evolutionary human history. Mm. You know, it's, it's, through, it's coming through being a human being. Yes. It's not something you can get rid of. You can't just remove it. We have the human nature in us. We have the, you know, that cruelty and the, the barbaric past. It's in us and it can manifest. It can be triggered anytime. Anyone can become a criminal. If you put them in the wrong environment and they need to survive and they need to defend themselves or someone dear, they are at risk of killing another. That's, that's us. But we also can see the other end of the continuum where we are beautiful human beings, you know, wired for connection, able to feel the love and the compassion. At the same time, sympathy and pity if we are too distant from the other person's suffering. But you see, it, all of these are actually aspects of, of the human being which we can tap in if we are curious enough to discover ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we start with the understanding, as you mentioned, that's the beginning in, of therapy. And I think, yeah, you're right. Uh, radical acceptance might feel quite a strong concept for some people to grasp and mm -hmm. uh, you know, absorb because that says, or it's misunderstood as being, I radically accept that and I don't do anything about it. I exactly. just leave it in the past. Exactly. But radical acceptance in a way, in my view, when I move through my steps and my, my, my framework, the way I work, when I reach a good level of understanding that allows me to start accepting, not accepting for good and accepting totally, completely, wholly, mm -hmm. but starting accepting, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely fine for me. I might go back to other unpeel other layers of understanding, as you mentioned earlier on, because I'm not done. I'm a creation that is recreated and recreating yes. every single second. Yes. So I accept that. I accept the impermanence of life. I accept the the you know, as you mentioned, that everything is transient, everything is changeable. And then I'm working with myself in this very present moment. And I do the best I can right now. And that's my best version. Mm. The best version is what I'm doing with myself right now, mm -hmm. informed by all of the other previous versions that I've lived throughout all of these lives that I have. If every second is a new life, mm -hmm. it's a new beginning. Mm -hmm. This is how we see it. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of wisdom in this. If you really permit ourselves to radically accept something, which means in my personal and professional view, starting accepting that that happened. Mm -hmm. And then mm. use it as a spiral of knowledge and self-discovery, you know, where you go yes. down and you come back to the surface and you start over again, unpeeling more layers of understanding and acceptance because you can always look at it from different perspectives. And I think yeah. radical acceptance, the work of Tara Brach, I think you mentioned, we, we yeah. chatted before, is so important. Yeah, I, love I think it's essential for trauma. It's essential for understanding our past, our personal history, coming to terms with our human nature, with our you know, life script. This is who we are. Let's do the best with what we have. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. I really love what you're saying. And I think 
I think it brings to mind um, someone I worked with, which is I'm not going to bring obviously a lot of details into this, but this particular person was really, um, you know, uh, had a very difficult upbringing, had a very difficult, you know, uh, situation with the parents. And, and um, in, in some way, you know, one of the parents, um, you know, took their own life. So in terms of, and then, growing up as a child because no under there is no communication around that a lot and there was no kind of explicit explanation to this child about what happened and about and and no really no one really had the time to see this child or to really sit with this child mm-hmm. you know this person is part of a family a bigger family so um this idea of it's my fault that my parent the internalized belief yes and this has uh, kind of wreaked havoc in on this person's life because they started to because like you said we are so we are the past our past is us yeah right but but if i if i'm constantly creating a the situation where if i'm if i grow up thinking i am guilty i am guilty for for something so huge then I will start to find confirmation in that, in my reality, that I am to blame for so many different things. Yes. Not just to blame in this particular situation. I'm also a bad person. It must be because I'm a bad person. And then you start to believe, yes, I'm a bad person. And you start to act like a bad person. And you start to be that person that you, yes. that you, you think, you know, this is why my parents did this to themselves, you know? So it's like, And then you start to confront this person in therapy. And it's very hard sometimes because you start to say, okay, can we, you know, in my mind, obviously it's very easy to be like, why aren't you accepting what happened? You know, both of you hasn't accepted what happened to you. And then this person would be like, would look at me and think, you haven't gone through what I've gone through. You don't know what it's like Mm. to have gone through this. And, And I think this is the problem. I think all human suffering is, is, is valid like I think it's important for us to this idea of comparison and distancing ourselves from other people you know sometimes people come to therapy and they you know they I feel like they look at me like how would you know you know yeah you know what I've gone through and and they don't know they actually have no idea Mm. you know what kind of pain or what kind of emotional pain or suffering that I've been through um and I think because our society these days is very focused on appearance and a, a very focus on like the external what you show other people if I show other people I'm doing well then I must be doing well yes um, then this this idea of of you know we are growing more and more distant from others because we're starting to live with the belief that everyone seems to be doing really well all the time and if I'm suffering then there must be something wrong with me and then this chimes in with all of the previous beliefs about something is wrong with me um something has something went wrong in my life and i'm to blame therefore so it's interesting how our past it literally interacts with our present it's a dance right yes like a constant dance and one of the one of the people in the dance is going to kind of over the out dance another another so it's like how are we going to you know how are we how are we going to develop enough self-awareness to understand that we our past puts us in a position where we interact with our present in a different way. So er, 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 that it's a, it's a, it's like, a, I see it as like a chemical reaction, 
with the present. You know, the past and the present are like a chemical reaction. And if what's coming up from my past is pain, trauma, suffering, shame, then it's going to win over any any forces in my present that are trying to outdo, you know, or um, to over make me overcome this. You know, does that make sense? Yes, yes. Such a such a beautiful way of uh, using metaphors to explain something so simple, but yet so complicated. It's our life experience and how we make sense of it. Mm-hmm. I completely agree that the past is part of us, but also we need to learn. Unfortunately, it's not being taught in schools. Again, we're coming back to the education system and to the education in the family system mm-hmm. where it's lacking um, this kind of awareness, conscious awareness, because parents haven't been taught themselves to be conscious parents. So you see, it, it, it's a cycle that moves through generations. And some I feel that we are the generation now, the people that live on earth these days and mm-hmm. are still active and interested to to make a change and and challenge what's wrong and you know fight for for civil rights and for all, all sorts mm-hmm. of other you know important topics that are for the first time in the history of the humanity allowed in the open space publicly we speak about them and we have this technology that is now helping us to send a message further not just into our little tribe and community but you know miles away continents away um i feel that we lack this understanding of what it means to to be present Mm. what it means to be connected with all parts of you in this very moment Mm. and what is our real power in life which in my view is choice the power of choice there's no other power the choice is actually for me the most powerful thing that we have in the world. Because with this choice, if you become aware that you have this choice, then you can create every second the yeah. best way you can. You don't live enslaved in the tunnel mind, yeah. you know, in that automatic functioning. Yeah. Where naturally, 95% of your thoughts will be the same one because they are repetitive. We know now that this from science. 80% yeah. quite self-diminishing, quite negative. And life is not nice when you function from there. Sadly, I think our challenge is not to be aware or become present mm-hmm. or radically accept something. I think our challenge is to learn to mitigate between these two worlds, between the past and the present, bringing ourselves back into the present more often, creating that mindful sort of ritual or mindful practice, as I call it. Mm-hmm. It's so important. And then being, you know, adventurous enough to start the journey within because we are indoctrinated to acquire information every single day Mm -hmm. to pretend that this is really the real smartness and intelligence but memory has never been you know uh, equaling intelligence no Uh, memory is just memory it's just information it's just database you know the, the true intelligence is being connected with yourself being able to be present the true intelligence is that kind of conscious awareness, as we call it, mm. when you operate from who you really are, from your true self, creating distance from your pre- program mind and from this body mm. that might demand a little bit of physiological need or whatever. Mm. So th- this, is, this is not complicated as a process. It's quite easy when you learn about it, when you learn to practice it. But most people wouldn't be able to allow themselves no. To, to, to accept the idea no. of 
you know, living differently, embracing life in a different way, just because, you know, this program mind has this, this, this kind of walls created, mm-hmm. you know, it has the defense mechanisms to reject everything that is novel, that yeah. is a bit threatening to its survival. Yeah. Because in a way, the, the tunnel mind likes comfort and familiarity. Mm. So we struggle to radically accept because once we are too attached from the past, we, we don't embrace present moment, uh, the present moment mm-hmm. with, with ease. And I think at the same time, we, use the, we misuse the word radical. We take it as complete, whole, full, forever, absolute. Yes. And it's not that. It's a name to reach radical acceptance one day, but it's uh, in, in itself is a journey where yeah. you're accepting more and more as you understand more and more. And it's such an important step that we need to make when we awaken because that's the ticket for joy and happiness. Otherwise, we live in pain and suffering. You said so many important things. Yeah, I know. I, I wish we could have five hours to talk about this, like Joe yeah. Rogan, do a lo- long podcast one day, maybe. <laughs> and I think one thing I'd like to kind of um, talk about is this idea of mitigating you said mitigating between the present the past and the and the present and also the future right this requires a lot of actually imagination and creativity I think Um, this is a this is why I always say you know this is creativity is how you're going to save yourself like you're you're when I'm creative about you know um, about my possibilities. If I'm allowing my brain to actually think of my different possibilities of of living, then and go there and really go there, it means that I'm I'm already channeling my energy in in a certain way that that is in those in those in this direction of some sort of these new possibilities. But the problem with the traumatized brain is that creativity is goes out the window doesn't it yes it's depressed yeah it's the first thing you kind of get rid of almost and it's it's very maladaptive because creativity is what gets you out of any situation it's 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 how you problem solve it's how you imagine a way out of a situation you know so it's interesting how our brains are sometimes wired against themselves sometimes where it's like even the, the time that we need the creativity most which is which is when we are suffering is usually when we don't have access to it. So how do I find a way of tapping into this kind of creative reservoir inside of me that allows me to, like you said, you know, kind of mitigate um, between the past and the present Mm -hmm. to say, I am, I am, you know, to say that this is, this is, you know, I can be sad and I can be happy. You know, I can be angry and I can be, you know, a little bit uh, excited about something. All of these can coexist in my in one life. I don't need to be in a certain trajectory or in a certain kind of. So how, this this takes a creative mind. And I think this is why, you know, art therapy and, and all of that is so important. And any kind of artistic outlet in general or kind of writing or it's so important because it allows our brain to make connections, you know, to develop new connections and to, like you said, slowly accept things because nothing happens overnight, right? Absolutely. As therapists, we kind of we kind of live with that knowledge, right? Nothing happens overnight. We're very comfortable with it, with the with the slowness of things. Whereas others aren't, you know, this modern world is all about now, 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 you know. And speed, yes. Yes. You're going to get this 
done quickly, you know? Yes. But it's, it's, we start to internalize this value system of fast, of quick, of you have to do this now, you have to achieve this now. And actually, we are very slow. We are very slow. We, you know, when we have a flu, we can, we can spend a week trying to recover from, from a flu, you know, from something as, 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 as trivial as a flu. Yes. So we are, we are very slow beings and we need to accept it. That yes. It's going to take time for all of these changes to slowly, slowly, slowly happen. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where, that's what, that's what came up to me when you, when you were talking. Um, Lovely. Yeah. So well said. I mean, it took us two and a half million years of human evolution to come to this point. Yeah. And over the past two decades, we had a massive, massive um, outburst of, of development, yeah. uh, technology, artificial intelligence mm. that is changing the way we function now. And yeah. most likely that would be even more present in, in the future, in the coming years, probably in two, three decades, we're going to, live with robots in the house. We're going to yeah. marry them. Now robots have citizenship, yeah. as you know, probably, yeah. and so on. Um, I think we are slow because, and, and what makes slow a bit slower this process, in my view, what I'm learning in my practice and from my own personal experience, is that we are trying to change the mind from within the mind. I think it's a wrong practice because if you try to change what's been already planted in you using the same tool, well, that tool doesn't know how to overwrite itself. It's like a software on a you know computer. Mm-hmm. You need something else from the outside to change this one. So mm-hmm. in a way, you need to step out of that conditioning. You need to step out a little bit of that um, programming. And for me, I found a terminal that allows me to mitigate between the two worlds Mm -hmm. without expecting myself to switch so Mm -hmm. quickly, like within a second, just change now, come become present now. It's not working that way Mm -hmm. because we are such complex beings and the brain, how it's the neurological system is such, such complex. We are only learning about it now. It's just the beginning of discovery. Honestly, we know nothing about this. What is this? I mean, we know nothing. I think my terminal is learning to, to develop this mindful ritual and practice it every day mm-hmm. until you rewire your brain through neuroplasticity and mm-hmm. you allow different neurons in the areas that haven't been caught into this programming, into this mm-hmm. old mind to create a new mind, a choice mind, or the, the village mind, I call it. It's like coming out from the darkness in the tunnels where you've been indoctrinated by others because it's not your choice. You haven't chosen any of these experiences. They've been given to you. And stepping out into the light for the first time, mm-hmm. you know, where you can actually remove those masks that you were talking about, mm-hmm. this falsity and, and pretense and, mm-hmm. you know, this social persona that is, trying to bring the body, mind, and soul into different roles in our lives and act accordingly based on what the culture describes as being the right norm, you know. Tara so, brought, so, yeah. Tara, sorry to interrupt you, but Tara yeah. brought calls this the spacesuit self, right? Mm-hmm. This idea of like we build this sense of space, a spacesuit self mm-hmm. to protect ourselves from, from the world. Like yes. We, and then we start to over-identify we with did. that spacesuit self. Mm-hmm. Like we yes. forget who we actually, who we are. Yes. Yes. Because um, so we've never, we've never knew since we started to be taught and, and programmed, we've forgotten who we were. There was loads of information added on us 
So now what's active, it's what's happened more recently, isn't it? And then the most important aspects of the past, usually the most painful we remember, isn't it? Because they yeah. keep haunting us. Yeah. In a way, they come to remind us that we have work to do, that we yes. need to take some space, create some time, and go back to the little child inside of us, in our case, the little girls, yeah. that maybe haven't been developed enough to, to, to explore, explore life. No problem. That's that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's quite life. Yes, absolutely. We need to embrace it. Yeah. So our little children haven't been developed enough to make mm-hmm. sense of the experience. But we can lend them our current version, our mature people. We can close our eyes, use this exposure in vitro, this visualization, and just go there and meet the chi- little children inside, mm-hmm. heal them, caress them, help them find support, the support they didn't have at the time. You know, allow this intelligence that we have right now to be used for our healing, mm-hmm. for, for the release of all of this pain, all of this unnecessary suffering that we carry with astral life. So therapy is fantastic. Even self-therapy, now I'm branching, I'm, I'm trying to, to move into creating a self-therapy school, a self-therapy program mm-hmm. that allows all of those that are not in therapy or are reverse therapy, or they don't want to do it. They think it's not relevant for them or they are scared, they are frightened to do a bit of work with themselves, mm-hmm. provide a framework and even provide it to those that mm-hmm. are in, currently in therapy to learn to deal with the 167 hours each week when they are not in therapy, because mm. we usually go one hour a week. And what defines your life is what's happening in between, isn't it? Most of the time. So, yeah. But let's talk a little bit towards the end. Um, how can radical acceptance, I'd like to hear your view on this, maybe uh, facilitate happiness and joy and presence? And how can we teach people, learn the, the, the magical you know, practice of radical acceptance? I think what you, you know, you said such important things. And I think one of the things that really comes up for me when you, when you were talking about, you know, how do we help ourselves kind of really see who we are, you know, Um, I think radical acceptance in the sense that you also mentioned inner child, inner child work. And every single time I bring up the inner child in with a client or with someone in therapy, it is 90% always a very moving experience for the person, okay? So 90% of the time, people really respond. There's something very powerful about going back to this inner child. because It's the reconnection. It's the beginning of the reconnection with the real self. Exactly. And it's like, oh, wow, I could see this child, you know, and I could see how hurt they were. And I could see how small they felt and I could see and what would you tell this child as this adult self now that with all of these strong defenses and all of these fancy kind of lofty things that you identify with as a person what would you now as this kind of adult this strong person this person who has a lot more choice what would you tell this child how if you meet this child I always say if you meet this child at a family gathering what do you want this child to know what do you want to tell this child so it's always like keep going or you know you're doing really well or it's always something very kind of encouraging encouraging and, and empowering and very simple but it just goes straight in I feel yes it just 
really goes straight in because they realize, oh, wow, I've been living as this hurt child mm-hmm. for so, so long. I've been responding from the place of being feeling small, being small, being hurt, being humiliated even. And 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 I always I always feel like, you know, can you ma- I always tell them, you know, can you imagine yourself as a child? How would you describe yourself? Can you can you show me a picture even? Do you have a picture of yourself as a child? Can we really think of this child in its own right, you know? Yeah. Um, and what would you do, you know? How would you how would you what what do you want this child to know, right? And I think this really helps because it uh, it it's always like a it's it was always like a it feels like an exhale when they do that, you know? It's like you know, the release, isn't it? It's letting go. It's yeah, surrender. This is very painful. This is very difficult. And and somehow through that release, they can also start to distance themselves from that that hurt child and realize that they are actually a lot stronger um, now. They are yeah. they are in a position where they can support this child if they found if if you know it feels empowering in a way. And I think. It always goes back to healing that inner child because when we when we're children, obviously our brains are blank canvases. Anything can happen to them, and we get we feel everything. Everything becomes our world, right? So even small hurtful comments from a teacher might be so formative and so difficult for us to overcome growing up. You know, it might stay with us forever. Yes. So it's like it's it's this going back to this child with all of its with all of the simplicity and the innocence and just being like, okay, what did I need? And how am I trying to achieve that in my current life now? And how is this sabotaging my current life as well? How am I, how is this not adaptive in my current life? So I think this is one route to radical acceptance, I think. Oh, beautiful. I love it. Thank you. (laughs) It it makes sense because everything starts with going back within. Very often we try to acquire information, copy others, follow others, learn from others, read books, do things, follow podcasts. But if all of these remain just information and we don't process them and we don't implement anything in our life and we don't change, mm-hmm. then there will be no transformation because transformation is the is ultimately the result of a, a succession of change, little changes that mm-hmm. we make every day. Mm-hmm. And I think... The culture is changing. I see a shift. I see the consciousness being embraced by people. I see people talking a bit more about mental health, although it's usually coming from the medical model, from diagnosis, I'm ill, I have this problem and so on. Um, I think there, there will come a, a day when, when more people, masses of people would actually listen to spiritual teachers for that piece of the message that is missing from the science right now. And even quantum physics and epigenetics now acknowledge that there is only energy in the universe. 99.99% in our atoms is just energy. So we need to see beyond the material world, beyond the physicality. I think uh, from my perspective, the only way to to heal is to self-discover. You you mm-hmm. can't really heal something that you don't know what it is, what caused mm-hmm. it, and what was the impact. So you need to go through your inner work. I would encourage everyone to do it. Just set some time, even if they don't yeah. have means to pay for a therapist or they, they can't find other type of support. Just talk to their friends, to their family members when they have someone. Maybe, I don't know, set some time for solitude, just being with themselves. Learn 
a form of meditation that works for them. It doesn't have to be anything sophisticated. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, anything um, extraordinary. Just create a mindful ritual. That's it. Stay present, you know, change what you can control. That's in my view, because you have to accept what cannot be changed, what's not, what's not in your hands. You have to accept that. Otherwise, you're going to suffer forever. Mm-hmm. And then embrace gratitude for everything that is really good in your life, you know, and maybe learn to let go uh, to all of those, you know, unrealistic expectations. I call them sometimes because they bring so much pain. Mm-hmm. Learn to surrender to what was, work on the past, but live in the present, you know, accept the past, extract the meaning from it, see why that suffering came on your path. What do you learn from it? And how are you going to inspire others? How are you going to encourage others to heal themselves too? I think that's the most powerful lesson for me. Um, I think um, because you're coming from, you know, from that part of the world that has been um, you know, privileged enough to have Rumi as one of the most greatest thinkers. He mm-hmm. said it very nicely. Yesterday, I was clever and I wanted to change the world. Today, I'm only wise and I want to change myself. That's my message. That's your gate towards the radical acceptance. I think let's hear yours. What's the best learnings, it. I the mean, best tips you I, can give to people? I love, I love that Rumi reference. That's brilliant. And I think it's like it's 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 um it's also about when you talk about being present i feel like it's also about finding safety in presence because i think a lot of us don't trust the presence we we feel like if we are present then we're going to be the deer in the headlights we're going to miss something we're going to be blindsided by something we have to constantly be in a management in the management role you know managing our past and our future and constantly we're we're very scared of actually dropping in to the presence because we we don't trust it we feel we feel afraid of it we feel afraid of missing something you know and that's that's what we need to understand. How do we, it's not just about, I feel like it, obviously it's about being present. How do I find safety in presence? How do I create the conditions where I can actually be present? So for me, for example, it's about finishing my work during the day and really allowing presence. Does that make sense? So wow, it's like so really, beautiful. Yeah, allowing it, allowing being, yes. okay, I'm done. I did my work for the day. I, you know, I, 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 you know, I did everything I needed to do as a human being. And maybe now that would be easier to be present and it would be safer to be present because I won't constantly be feeling like I'm missing something or I'm going to be, I, I'm going to have a, a, a difficult phone call with someone or something like that. So it's, it's just, how do I create conditions for being present as well? Wow, uh, thank you. It's just amazing because it's complementing what I just said. I, I, talk, I talk about creating space for presence, but yeah. you create conditions to be able to be in that space. Yeah. So I think we make a great team, both of us. <laughs> Where can people find out more about you? And uh, how can they connect with you? How can they work with you if they, if they uh, want to? So I, you know, I usually I usually share my email, you know, generally. But I think was um, I recently created an Instagram page, and I think it's the easiest way for anyone in the general public to yes. send a message. So I think this is a good kind of um, portal. Uh, so it's called Therapy with Farah, and it's an Instagram page. Um, and yeah, just if you if you want to uh, speak to me, or if you want to send me a message, or want to arrange for an, even a cons- an initial consultation. Um, where you can understand yourself a bit better I'm more than happy to um, listen 
Thank you so much for this. We're going to leave the link in the description below for people that are watching and listening to be able to find the link and click on it and get straight into your page. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, uh, that's it for now. Until next time, we are wishing you all good health and happiness and stay present. Bye.